This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. Neuter Integrated Multicraft Contractors has been a force since 1896. That's right, 1896. And specializes in welding, piping, mechanical, structural, constructability reviews, project management, and rigging design services. For a free consultation, call Neuter at 314-421-7600. Neuter proudly serves petroleum refining, chemical processing, power generation, and alternative energy. Get in touch with Neuter at 314-421-7600. And guess where this additional billion gallons of biofuel is going to come from? It's going to come from abroad. That's not an American first energy policy. We're in this together. Labor's in this. Building trades are in this. Refiners are in this. American consumers need us to do this too. Now across the Jacob Media Network, welcome to the Labor and Energy Show special. Exclusively presented by the PBF Energy Paulsboro Refinery and the PBF Delaware City Refinery in collaboration with the labor unions that build our communities. If you fix this RINs issue, you're looking at a reduction of 25 to 30 cents a gallon. This is the Labor and Energy Show, bringing labor leaders, national experts, and political influencers together to educate you about fancy terms like RINs and Reggie, while explaining the truth about energy independence. Welcome to the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause. And welcome in, everyone, to another edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J. Doc and Krause as we broadcast to you another week, J. Doc. It's a very, very special week for the Labor and Energy Show. We have been talking about uh, our first Labor and Energy Summit for what has been the last seven weeks leading up to uh, our broadcast today. Uh, And we've got a great way to start. It's our Labor and Energy uh, Refinery Summit. I'll introduce uh, the participants of the summit in just a moment, but first let me come to you. Uh, Nice job putting it all together. And again, uh, changing the narrative has always been our priority. I think we're gonna get a great chance to do that today. Absolutely, Joe, it's definitely uh, something we've been looking forward to for some time now. Uh, again, the goal of the summit is, is to better educate, inform the public, okay, on common sense and energy uh, in order to change the narrative, which is what our show is all about. Um, and no, no question, uh, this is an exclusive discussion with some of the refining industry's top executives that will educate and inform our listeners uh, on things they only thought they knew. So couldn't be more excited about uh, about what we're doing today. And, um, you know, we look forward to getting started. Yeah, I'll set the table for the listening audience and then we'll jump right into uh, the conversation. Um, We're going to run this full hour of the Labor Energy Show um, pretty much commercial free. We'll we'll pause for uh, just one break towards the bottom of the hour, sometime between 26 and 28 minutes after the hour. And then we'll complete the other side uh, of the uh, show somewhere around 32, just so the listening audience understands it. It's a little bit of a variation from what we uh, normally do on a weekly basis. Um, we have three gate, three great guests, Jay Doc, for our Labor and Energy Refinery Summit. Matt Lucy is the president of PBF Energy. Regan Howell is the COO of Monroe Energy. And Dave Lamb, the CEO of CVR Energy. And of course, J-Doc and Krause. Uh, great show on tap, J-Doc. I'll kick it over to you. Let's get started, man. Good conversation. 
Thank you, Joe. And, and, and first off, I, I, uh, I want to thank uh, all the gentlemen for being on the broadcast. Uh, again, we're really excited about it. The uh, point of what we're trying to do, and, and even of the entire show, is to not only change the narrative, but educate individuals um, in almost in layman's terms on things that they, like I said, think they know but don't and, and don't understand. Um, so first off, I, I'd like each of you, if you would, to provide a brief overview of your company. Tell the listeners uh, where you operate, how many people you employ, and the products you produce. Matt, if uh, if you would start, please. Sure. Thanks for having me. I, and I, I look forward to also participating in this, uh, the opportunity to, like you say, help educate people. I think is critically important. Certainly going through the first energy crisis in 50 years, it's one of my great hopes is people actually do, you know, get better informed uh, on some of the issues that are in front of us. PBF uh, is uh, six refineries. Uh, we boil oil. Uh, refining is all we do, essentially. We're just under a million barrels a day. Uh, we're a company that was formed not too long ago. Uh, we, we were formed in 2008 and really uh, got off the ground in 2010, acquiring our first refinery. Now we own six with just under a million barrels a day of refining capacity. We've got about 3,500 employees, half of which are represented workforce. Um, and refining is what we do. We don't, we don't go out and look for oil. Uh, we don't produce it. We don't sell gasoline in gas stations or distribute uh, to a great degree, we, we bring oil into our refineries and, and make the finished products and then sell it from there. Uh, Regan Howell, please. Sure. Again, thanks for the opportunity to be here and uh, really looking forward to this conversation. Um, Monroe Energy was formed in 2012 when our parent company, Delta Airlines, bought the refinery that's just south of Philadelphia uh, for the purpose of providing safe, secure, uh, reliable supply of jet fuel for Delta's operations in the Northeast. Uh, like PBF, like CVR, we buy oil on the open market. We refine it here. We produce jet fuel, gasoline, diesel. We don't have gas stations either. We have a pipeline and terminal company. And then we distribute our product to customers in the Northeastern area. Uh, we have 500 Monroe employees, about half of those are represented. We have several hundred contractors a day, many of whom are members of the Philly building trades. And when you look at our impact uh, with indirect jobs, uh, literally thousands of people across the nation are at work because of what has done here in, in Philadelphia. Thank you, sir. And Dave Lamp, if you would. Sure. Um, CVR Energy is a uh, uh, has two business lines. Uh, one is refining, which has two refineries, about 200,000 barrels of capacity, operate mainly in the midcon uh, of the center of the, of the uh, United States. Um, we make uh, gasoline, jet fuel, and diesel primarily. Uh, we also have a fertilizer business, which is uh, very uh, uh, energy intensive. Uh, all the feedstock basically comes from either nat natural gas or coal are the only two sources to make uh, nitrogen-based fertilizers. And uh, we do also recover CO2 and sequester it in, in off of one of our plants and looking to do it or the same thing on the other plant. Um, we are what I would call a merchant refiner. Um, we live and die by the crack, the crack being the, the spread between gasoline, 
jet fuel and diesel price to crude oil. Um, we source most of our crude oil from gathering systems uh, that uh, operate in the uh, shale oil basins, um, whether it's Midland uh, uh, Permian Basin based or Anarco Basin based. Uh, and uh, being a merchant refiner, uh, as the others have stated, uh, we don't we're not in retail. We don't uh, market gasoline. We we sell bulk barrels mainly and uh, are subject to uh, uh, the RFS regulation uh, as much as uh, anyone in the industry. And so uh, having said that, thank you, Dave. We just wanna have a frank conversation uh, and, and in a lot of ways, fill in the gaps uh, that our regular, you know, our, our not only our union workers, but our families, friends, and, and the general public, you know, on, 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 on the things that they just don't know. Um, and so let's, let's, let's talk about that, the gentleman. What doesn't the public know that they should know about our refineries and our refinery leadership? Uh, I'll start with Matt. Uh, you know, I, I think to focus on the positive first, uh, the United States is absolutely blessed uh, with maybe the most complex refining kit across the industry. When you look at the United States compared to other countries, uh, there's a, a variety of, of refineries, obviously. In the United States, uh, some you know incredibly complex, but some very very simple. And complexity is how we you know size, and complexity is how we sort of differentiate the the, the refinery size, complexity, and location. But if you look at the U.S. in total, on average, we have the most complex refining kit, so the best steel. We have the most uh, constant, uh, reliable, and expert labor. Uh, and we have the cheapest uh, energy source through natural gas, uh, you know, com competitively uh, across the landscape. So we are positioned. Uh, and if you think about refining, it's one of the last heavy industrial uh, industries left in the United States. Uh, we're, we're, we have many competitive advantages. And uh, it's just unfortunate when things unnecessarily pop up regulatorily that, that set us back. And where I know we'll spend a lot of time talking about the RFS and specifically RINs. Uh, and then you can dive down even deeper in that. And it's really specifically the ethanol portion of the RFS program that's broken. But we've got uh, incredibly complex, great workers uh, and, and access to cheap energy all critically important. So that's why um, our refining industry in the United States uh, is, is set up to fuel not only this country, but uh, some, of our, uh, some of our friends and, and where we export to. Um, that being said, we have headwinds and the headwinds often come from Washington. Uh, and, and specifically in our industry, you know, the one that's the ICBM pointed at us often is the RFS program, which is just broken. It's been broken for over 10 years. Uh, and and I'm, it's my hope that, that people actually start talking about it at barbecues and with their friends because people should realize the price of gasoline can come down 20 or 30 cents tomorrow uh, at the Biden administration. By the way, the Trump administration did a pretty good job of screwing it up before the Biden administration. So it doesn't seem to be a partisan issue. It's uh, just a political one in regards to Iowa politics and ag community politics. 
Um, but if we if we curtail the the uh, runaway prices of ethanol RINs, the price of gasoline would come down instantly. And the administration uh, has every it's the easiest thing they could do to address the price of gasoline. And by the way, it would not affect their revenues. Uh, the, the idea of lowering the gas tax is mind boggling because that's going to lower the, the revenues uh, for the federal government. They could accomplish more by addressing RINs and it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't affect the federal government at all. That's interesting because on our very first show, Jim Snell, who's the business manager of Steamfitters Local 420 here in Philadelphia, said that exact, made that exact point. Uh, and, and you can actually listen to a Joe Krause um, in our in our in the opening to our broadcast talking about if they fix the RINs issue, we you know gas gasoline drops twenty five cents a gallon. But uh, having here's said what that, I, and J Doc, here's what I don't understand, and I hear Matt saying one of the the easiest things that can be done, which is so obvious, yet candidly, from a layman's terms. I don't understand why what is so obvious isn't happening. That's the, that, that's the disconnect for me. Why, Matt? Uh, why, Regan? Why, Dave? Is that such an obvious thing, which is bipartisan? Why isn't it happening? I don't get it. Well, it's, it's, it's very, very simple. And it's, it's, there's no, uh, there's no, um, rational reason why there's no logical reason why there's one reason one reason only and by the way the the discussion on gasoline price doesn't come up it's a political calculation of votes and uh to the ag community the rfs program and the subsidies that it provides whether they're real or imagined is so sacrosanct to those people that uh their congressional delegation will bring a bazooka to the gunfight. And we've got many friends and supporters uh, on Capitol Hill that will show up with a knife to the knife fight and they get their their head blown off by the bazooka uh, with all the mid-con, you know, uh, uh, Capitol Hill delegations that will go to the mattresses for it. It's as simple as that. There's no discussion of, hey, is it broken or is it not? There's no discussion of will it affect the price of gasoline? It's not. It's votes votes, votes, and it's a political calculation. That's it. And, and hey, you Matt, mentioned, I, I, I'm sorry, Dave. Yeah, I was going to say, Matt, Matt's absolutely spot on. You know, I think you got to start with this regulation. It was ill-conceived when it was uh, when it was signed by Congress and the, and the president, George Bush. Um, it was poorly written. Um, and then EPA got a hold of it and did, did their work uh, to just completely um, set it up in a wrong in a in a in a in a in a in a way that picked winners and losers, and uh, that's what makes it such a difficult issue um, for our industry. Um, and then you have the ag group, which is uh, seems to be a much better lobby lobbyist than we are, and and just use intimidation, <clears throat> threats, and uh, the legal system to prove their case. Um, you know, the point of obligation was set up by EPA to be uh, to pick winners and losers. And that's what hurts companies like ours and uh, the other two that are on this uh, this podcast, um, you know, being merchant refiners. We're not involved in the downstream system and we have the obligation and they and the basically the, the large convenience store operators get all the benefit and we have to buy back the rents from them. 
um, it, it, to meet our obligation. It's important to step back and and and, and Dave uh, be interested here if you agree. But you know the RFS program. It's it's a niche program that if you're blessed in life, you don't have any. You can live blissfully ignorant to it because it's it's mind numbing. But the, the program mandates uh, biofuels going into the fuel pool. That's on the gasoline side and on the diesel side. So it mandates that there's 15 billion gallons of ethanol in the gasoline pool. The problem is, and then also it mandates biodiesel to go on for the diesel pool. The problem is then the distinction on the diesel side, it's not broken. Uh, the system essentially works how it's supposed to work, which is it's uneconomic to manufacture renewable diesel. So you're gonna create a RIN and that RIN will go to the benefit of the manufacturer and that will offset the reality of buying a something for $6 and selling it for $4. That's just the subsidy that the government wants to commit to, to incentivize the manufacturing of renewable diesel. And that, like I say, effectively works because renewable diesel is essentially indistinguishable from USD, from regular diesel that we manufacture from oil. And so it can be uh, in replacement of, it can, it can go on pipelines, it, um, it, it doesn't create issues that ethanol does. And the crazy part is if they're high rent prices or low rent prices, we're going to blend the same amount of ethanol. But ethanol is not a direct replacement for gasoline. It provides octane, uh, which is needed. So if there was no RFS program, we would still buy ethanol. Uh, it would still be put into the gasoline pool. Um, but the issue is once you get above 10%, uh, you create warranty issues for cars. And by the way, the, the, the public doesn't want it because it's more expensive. And if you look at it, it may be the same price or slightly more, slightly less on a per gallon basis. But you have to remember, ethanol is 70% of the energy content. So instead of filling up your car uh, once a week, you're going to be doing it once every five days if you're you know, on E85. So it, the, the specific problem is with the D6 ethanol RIN, and it's completely broken, as Dave says. It's, there's winners and losers, and it's, it, it very well, it has shut down refineries in the past, and very well, if it goes unchecked, shut down more refineries. And can you imagine that in today's marketplace? Well, and, and we've done shows on it. And one of the things that you said, Matt, um, earlier was, uh, you, you talk about, these are complicated issues. And of course, the, the, the objective of the broadcast uh, so when we start it, as we continue, is to educate the public. Uh, I couldn't imagine going to a, 50 of my neighbors and having one of them, un, you know, re, you know, reiterate back to me what a RIN is, what the RFS is, um, because it's just not getting talked about uh, often enough in the mainstream media. What you mentioned, uh, and I'll go to Dave on this and then we'll segue uh, to Reagan on, on a couple of different issues, but um, what are the consequences here, Dave, ultimately um, with our refineries and even on a national security level? Yeah, well, I think, uh, you know, policies matter that come out of Washington. And this is a prime example of if you go look back at what happened here, uh, why we lost the refining capacity during COVID um, and even before it, and, and that threatens these businesses like ours, is because our RINs occupy, you know, the crack 
typically is in the $20 range. Rins today are about $8 a barrel just to pay for the rins. Um, and that takes, you know, when you, you're, you got to remember refining is a very capital intensive business, very expensive. Um, it, uh, you know, you have to do turnarounds every four years. Everything costs a lot of money to do anything to, to refine oil. Um, it's a high risk business uh, from that standpoint. So um, if you don't have cash flow, um, you're out of business pretty quickly. PBF, or excuse me, uh, uh, PES, uh, Philadelphia Energy Solutions, was the first victim to, uh, to RFS. Uh, very clearly, um, it had to declare bankruptcy and then EPA forgave some of it, RINs duties. And then uh, the, the, it just succumbed to, to the reality that RINs are a problem. Um, and the, the bottom line is, is that we lost a lot of refining capacity due to RFS. And that put us in a short position, which is now why gasoline is as expensive as it is. And the crack is as wide as it is because you're short gasoline and diesel. There's a couple other regulations that came in that affected that also. But the bottom line is the mandate is 20 billion gallons of renewables. 15 of that is ethanol. Uh, the law was written uh, for 36 billion. And most of that was supposed to be cellulosic and low carbon material. It never materialized. It was like a mandate to technology that didn't exist. And it still doesn't exist. The only thing that the highest volume of it is ethanol. And it's not, uh, it, it is hardly a low carbon fuel when you consider all the footprint and land use it has to come into play. It's almost at parity. And the fact that it's lower density and energy, it's at parity on a carbon basis with fossil fuels. So the whole program was uh, just, just misaligned from the beginning. It was ill-conceived, badly written, and badly implemented. And, and Dave, it's still in that today. And, and Dave, just to, to take it one step um, below the headline in reference to PES, the magnitude of the shutdown and the ramifications from that eroded a huge portion of the tax base for the city of Philadelphia. It put an incredible number of workers um, out of jobs or forced to relocate. It had a direct impact on a small business community that was built around PES. So the ultimate, uh, the ultimate devil in the details has ramifications that will far exceed and, and, and have a direct impact on us, on the public. You're right. And there's a lot of communities like Philadelphia that are heavily supported by these refineries that operate all over the United States. And some in very some small refiners that EPA this year decided that, uh, you know, they're just going to rewrite the law and say no small refinery exemptions ever again. Um, and that's just just wrong. That'll be litigated in court for a long, long time. But, you know, you heard ethanol clap their hands. And the bottom line on ethanol is, is that it's an industry that was created by the government. It's an, an industry that has a position because ethanol, as Matt said, is necessary for octane. But you don't need a mandate to do it. it the free market will do it just fine. You know, having said that, um, we actually got into the, uh, the energy sector through the uh, and, 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 and the discussion uh, on the PES uh, refinery situation, felt like we were in the twilight zone. Uh, they brought us in doing some shows. It's where it all started for us. Um, not to mention, um, the, you know, the, the fact that when they went to sell it, they sold it to the lowest bidder 
by $25 million. So that, that was our entry into this. And what happened? A lot of our friends, crickets. Uh, we're, we're labor in Philadelphia. We do the labor show also. And we go to our political uh, allies who typically support us. And I'm talking on a local basis. And it was crickets. And, the, and our questions, Krauss and I were like, what the hell's going on here? And the answer was, somebody else is speaking louder than we are. Okay. And that's when the narrative started for us. Let me, let me go to Regan Howell. And uh, I, I'd like to kind of talk about the misnomer. You know, Dave, you mentioned um, a little bit about, uh, and, 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 and I, I think Matt also did about the risk factor in the refineries. There's a misnomer that our refining sector is just a billion dollar industry. What a bunch of rich fat cats getting increasingly, increasingly richer by the day at the expense uh, of everyone else, including the planet. Talk about that, and 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 in a sense, um, it never the risk never enters that. People don't understand what it takes to keep a refinery going. Sure, sure. Happy to answer that question. You know, refiners don't set the price of the products that we sell. These are global commodities. They move around in pipelines. They move around on boats. They move by truck, and so you know, gasoline diesel fuel, jet fuel, those are commodities. And so those are set by the conditions, uh, the prices for those products are set by the conditions in a particular market. It's supply and demand, it's economics 101. So we have to buy crude oil and we buy crude oil for our refineries in the US. We buy from, producers in the North Sea, we buy from producers in, you know, in Africa, we buy oil globally, looking for the right oil at the right price, we bring it to our refinery, it takes energy, it takes maintenance, it takes employee salaries, and then we have this huge compliance cost for these RINs, you bake all of that together, and our margin on that product that we sell is, um, <clears throat> I will say, a whole lot less than the margin that uh, you would be getting for an iPhone or a computer or uh, you know some of these other some of these other products that people are buying. You know, our um, we're very proud of the job that we do. Uh, we're proud of our safety performance. When you look at our safety record, our OSHA statistics compared to other industries, we are a fraction of what many other industries are doing. Um, we're a fraction of ag. We're a fraction of, you know, frankly, many office workers. We're very proud of our environmental performance. Why not make the fuel here where the EPA is keeping an eye on all of us refiners rather than having it made offshore? If we're truly worried about the global climate, then we have to be worried about global emissions. Let's make it here where we can keep tabs on what is being emitted as you produce these fuels. And then our margin on this fuel is really very thin. Um, and we don't set that price. We provide our products 
into a market. If you look at the inventories, um, especially here in the Northeast, we follow those very closely, but the inventories of jet fuel and diesel fuel are well below the five-year average. In fact, in many cases this summer, inventories of finished fuels in the Northeastern U.S. are the lowest that the U.S. Energy Information Agency has seen since they started tracking them in the 1990s. I'll tell you what, you, you hit on a number of topics. And my next question was going to be, what are you proud of? And, and, and certainly, uh, we're going to get into uh, the safety conversation, the community, uh, the environment, our standards compared to those overseas. Uh, but, you know, definitely uh, big points, major points that, you know, people aren't talking about because nobody's telling them. Uh, no question about it. Joe Krauss? J-Doc, let's do this. So we'll remind, we'll remind everyone you're listening to the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause. This is our uh, Labor and Energy Refinery Summit. Matt Lucy, the president of PBF Energy, Regan Howe, the COO of Monroe Energy, and Dave Lamb, the CEO of CVR Energy. We'll take a short commercial break, and then we'll pick up the conversation on the other side. Back in a moment. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. Now it's time for Did You Know? A public service announcement from the providers of this program. Did you know carbon capture and storage can capture more than 90% of CO2 emissions? Did you know? First chartered in 1903, Steamfitters Local 420 has been constructing and installing mechanical systems throughout the Delaware Valley for over a century. United by excellence, this local is proud to have worked on projects such as the Sun Oil Refineries, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, and the stadiums for all our Philly teams. From helmets to hard hats, Local 420 represents the history of Philadelphia. Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, business manager. PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit fuelingusjobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today. The Eastern Atlantic State's Regional Council of Carpenters is proud to present skilled union workers, including the workers that build and maintain our energy infrastructure. The safest, best trained, and most productive carpenters in the country are on the job. Whether it's energy from nuclear, wind, coal, natural gas, or offshore wind, the EAS carpenters are ready to provide the construction need of an energy industry our families depend on. If you're interested in a job in construction, visit EASCarpenters.org or follow us on social at EAS Carpenters. Operating engineers are the men and women that move mountains and the engineers labor employer cooperative elec puts them to work they create opportunities for the men women and union signatory contractors of local 825 repaving our roads keeping our homes bright and warm and even building our favorite team stadium we understand infrastructure 
That's why ELAC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. What's a Boilermaker? We're the skilled welders, riggers, and craftspeople who will help you grow your competitive edge. We step up when others step back, and we do the job right, on time, on budget, and safely. No drama, just results every time. We're the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers, and everything we do begins with our bond. Let's get to work together. Visit bestintrade.com. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are presented by PBF Energy and supported by members of the labor union community, a collaborative to educate the public and change the narrative. And welcome back, everyone, to this edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause. This is our very, very special Refinery Summit, J-Doc, with three great guests to help educate the public. If you're listening on the biggest talk station in South Jersey, the biggest talk station in Philadelphia, or the biggest talk station in Washington, D.C., uh, share the podcast, which you can download uh, on Odyssey or Spot or uh, on Apple or Spotify. Uh, just search the Labor and Energy Show. J-Doc, back to you, sir. So, Joe, as, as, as we continue our, our uh, refinery sector summit, and I'm ecstatic, I and mean, this is a great conversation with uh, some of the refining industry's top executives, um, it's a, an unbelievable opportunity uh, to really talk about uh, these issues and uh, with individuals, uh, you know, from the top. And so uh, let's get into a, a, a little bit about um, fossil fuels and the petrochemicals uh, and, and, and things that are, in a, in a sense, um, you know, obvious, but people don't know. When, when, you, when you talk about going into renewables, um, you never hear anybody say 5,000 to 6,000 products are comprised uh, of, of fossil fuels, including uh, many of our renewables, uh, wind turbines that you need oil to cool down. Uh, a lot of the products we use every day I'd like to ask the, the, the gentleman, in a sense, how does it make you feel uh, when people are willing to allow imports of the same products you already produce uh, and at the same time protest our, our, our domestic producers? Um, to me, it's, it's, it, you know, it's about, it, it, it's like shooting yourself in the foot and, and, then, and, and, and then going to, uh, you know, in some cases, especially with the world as it is, uh, your sworn enemy uh, for the same products that we already have over here. Um, it's just very confusing. Uh, again, I'll start with Matt. Well, I appreciate it. Um, you know, I would, I, I, you know, we had a strange confluence of events uh, over the last couple of years, obviously with uh, COVID and the economic shutdown. Uh, you know, we were on the tip of the spear when I say we, the industry, uh, the refining industry, when you tell people we can't move around, uh, obviously, consumption of gasoline, diesel, and jet fuel uh, drops. We, uh, as, as stated earlier, all of our products are commodities, and so on the on the edges, a small percentage change will have a massive impact to your returns. So during COVID, the industry lost tens of billions of dollars. PBF, uh, you know, took on uh, or suffered losses greater than a billion and a half dollars, uh, which is extraordinarily significant for a company such as ours. Um, and then you couple that economic pain with the marketing of fairy tales and unicorn dust and the politicians making promises that 
are wholly unrealistic and, you know, platitudes over physics is just silly. Uh, the good news is uh, we're not as bad as some other places. If you look at what's happening in Europe today, the price of natural gas is over $70 MMBTU. Uh, By the way, that equates to, on a per barrel basis, that equates to over $400 a barrel. So the cost of energy permeates through everything. It is a regressive tax. And so if you have a small apartment in Europe uh, today, you're paying electric bills that are over 10 times what they were historically. That is economic devastation. And the cost is just beginning because it's not cold yet. And a lot more people suffer from cold than heat. And so uh, it is critically important uh, important that we nurture all of our sources of energy. I have no problem competing with anybody. As I said before, the U.S. is set up extraordinarily well in regards to the refineries we have, uh, the oil we have, the natural gas we have, and maybe most importantly, the people we have. But if you take these things for granted, uh, you can end up in a situation where uh, it's it's uh, it's unworkable. And like I said, uh, if you have $70 natural gas in Europe, uh, the pain to electrify anything uh, is going to be immense. And so hopefully people are starting to recognize that. Shows like this are incredibly important. I don't think it's until you go through a crisis that you really start to educate yourself. And as I said at the open, I, I'm hoping everyone starts to educate themselves. And if, if we want to commit money to renewable sources of energy, that's fine, but we shouldn't be cutting off uh, what is our most economic sources of energy, which clearly go back to fossil fuels. And, and, and so, uh, Dave Van Regan, and, and we're going to spitfire a little bit after this uh, because, um, you know, the show's flying by. Um, I feel like, you know, we talk about the twilight zone. These are two, two kind of questions. Uh, when, I, when I look at, you know, the, the fact that uh, obviously there's, you know, fossil fuels and, and petrochemicals um, comprise, uh, you know, so many of the products we use every day, including renewables. Um, one of the things that staggers me is a lot of our legislators, um, what they don't understand uh, and, and the fantasies uh, about mandates and, and, and things like that. Um, and we've done shows, you know, and we're going to talk a little bit about electric vehicles, but uh, about the critical minerals needed. If we were to, you know, even fantasize about a world where you, you took car for car, um, uh, the internal combustion engine got rid of everyone and made every one of them a a, you know, a, an electric vehicle, um, the devastation it would do to the earth in regards to the environment and the fact that we're not even, even in the same universe in regards to having enough critical minerals, not to mention the slave labor and all those things. Um, it, it, that and a number of other things, you talk about rents and all that stuff, uh, that they don't understand says to me, and by the way, and I've said it to Joe Krause, you know, we're labor Democrats, you know, we're right. You know, we were listening, you know, uh, you know, to, to the to the narrative and, and drinking the Kool-Aid and all those things. One of the things that seems left out are the facts and the lack of understanding of them from our from our political leaders uh, who are legislating these things. Dave, uh, starting with you, uh, if you would comment. Sure. Well, I, you know, I think it comes down to a national security issue also. Um, you know, it's starving people of energy is probably the cruelest thing 
a government could do. Um, and look what Europe has done uh, to themselves. Frankly, they committed economic suicide by taking climate change as the personal uh, um, goal to eliminate fossil fuels, you know, eliminate the ice engine, eliminate all, you know, just all kinds of foolish talk, all virtue signaling, uh, which, you know, bottom line is the technology does not exist to eliminate energy, fossil fuel energy, as we know it today. As you, you point out, 30% of the barrel goes to petrochemicals. That's in virtually everything that is in, a, in, in the house I'm sitting in, in the building you're in, uh, wherever you may be, um, it's in every building material that you can think of. Uh, not only does it take it to generate the material, it, it to even uh, produce it, but it takes it uh, to build a house or build anything in in this country. You look at Europe, it's going to end up not having any manufacturing at all there. They're going to import everything. They're going to try to tax it. They're gonna, they're, it's just economic suicide. It's not well thought out and it's not a transition. It's like stop. Uh, stop using fossil fuels. And that's just naive, as Matt said. It's just completely naive. Uh, and starving people of energy, I, I mentioned that in fertilizer. Uh, fertilizer is what uh, how we yield so much corn and soybeans around the world. You don't have fertilizer. And this was, this was common in the, in, the, in the 18th century. They, they shipped it all across the world. It was mostly bird dung that was used to create nitrogen. And, uh, and today we do it uh, with, uh, with natural gas and coal. And if you take that away, there'd be a lot of people very hungry very quickly. Um, and it's just, uh, you know, to think hydrogen's gonna support to, to do that kind of volume is just naive. Uh, so it becomes a national security issue on top of uh, just committing economic suicide if you try to do it too fast. And, it, you know, the transition, I'm not saying it can't happen, but we need to innovate, we need new technology something different than a lithium battery because there's not enough lithium to go around. Um, you need a solid state battery or something, but uh, it doesn't exist today. So don't try to jam it down the throat. It's kind of like RFS. You're going to create a regulation that requires you to put all this cellulosic ethanol in, but there's no technology to make the cellulosic ethanol in a, any kind of volume. Um, so you know, we got the same problem here. Regan Howell. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the phrase that, I often think of is that this is a this is a technical problem, right? How do we provide energy to do manufacturing, to secure our nation, to grow and build our economy? This is the kind of thing that is going to be solved by engineers and scientists and skilled labor, not by political scientists. This is not a thing that we're going to legislate. This is a thing that we need to innovate and design our way through. And to Dave's point, it's not going to happen overnight. We all know that. Now, I will give, um, especially here in PA and in New Jersey and in Delaware, I will give our politicians credit. You know, we had a unanimous resolution in support of uh, changing or fixing the RFS run from both houses of the New Jersey legislature. We had almost unanimous resolution in PA. We had support of the Democratic governors in, those, in the tri-state area, asking, begging Washington to fix the RFS. And for whatever reason, back to Matt's point, it's purely political, um, there was a deaf ear turned you know, by Washington. But we just need to continue to push this and say, look, 
our goal is to secure our nation, to secure our economy. And frankly, if you take it down to the level of me as a dad, if my kids are cold, shoot, I'll burn the furniture, I'll burn tires, I'll do whatever it takes to protect my family, right? And so if we're really serious about both you know, decarbonization, fixing the climate, but at the same time, securing our country, securing our economy, we're going to have to innovate our way through this. And a big part of that is education, what you and Krause are doing. We need to get the message out and say, look, you know, it's, it's not unicorn dust. This is stuff that we're going to have to work our way through. And it's going to take lots of smart people. It's going to take lots of hard effort. And it's not going to come just by passing some law and saying, well, in 2035, we're going to outlaw the internal combustion engine. Ludicrous. It is. And, it, and, and, it, and it's something it, that has a lot of us confused. Obviously, uh, a lot of our labor leaders have said, even on the broadcasts, um, since when did we, you know, why is it us against them? Okay, and, and, and why aren't we working together? Uh, one of the beautiful things about the, about the program is um, we take, in a sense, um, uh, you know, at least in our conversation, the, the political rhetoric, rhetoric out of the uh, conversation, we have the top experts and all those, and we're just talking about the actual facts and the details. So your point is, uh, is made, it's about technology. That, you, know, I, you know, I can be fed all the crap you can feed me, but at the end of the day, reality is what it's all about. Um, let's do this, gentlemen. Um, same, uh, uh, J-Doc, same, same question as before uh, that I had to Matt 45 minutes into, the, into this broadcast. What is so obvious that will affect all of us, okay. everyone listening to the radio show, everyone in every market around the country, Everyone in every home around the country going into the going into the fall and going into the winter months. What is so obvious and so top of mind sits there being controlled by a miniature drive that is dominating the narrative. It's so I'm so perplexed by what seems to be obvious. And yet we can't get to that point unless we ultimately become Europe. And we don't learn from what we see, and then that's a whole, and, and then we're, and then that's, and then we're off the air anyway, and that's a whole different thing. You know, what 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 I love about the conversation with the gentleman is, um, this isn't hypothetical, man. This stuff is happening. We don't have to sit here and talk about what might happen, uh, what what you know, what the dangers are of this. Just look around the world. Just look at the events. Uh, just look at what happened. Uh, you know, our pipeline shut down. Look at Texas. A lot of those things. We don't have to sit there. And, and, and this is not a fear factor. These are things that are happening every day. Gentlemen, I'm going to go to each one of you on a, on a, uh, since we're getting down to, to the nitty gritty. And we're going to spit fire on, on some topics here um, and not roundtable what we, what we have. So I'm, I'm going to start with, 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 um, with Matt. We already touched on this, but it's a major issue and, and it's, what a lot of, uh, you know, individuals are, are, are you know, pick, it, it, we heard it all uh, when we talked about the PES safety standards. Um, Matt, talk about the safety standards at the refineries for the workers and the surrounding community and what a priority it is and the success we've had. Yeah, I think, and maybe it was, it was touched upon earlier, there's no question, as I was saying, we have the most complex uh, kit, we have 
the best workers and we have the lower cost of, of energy, which makes us successful. But none of it works if you can't operate safely, reliably, and in an environmentally responsible manner. Our CEO, Tom Nimbley, often talks about uh, the communities in which we operate allow us to operate. Um, if we don't operate safely and reliably and in a responsible manner, then nothing works. Uh, and in the U.S., uh, the standards in which we operate are uh, the best in the world. And uh, I think the point was made earlier, to the degree you start exporting energy, you see it in California. California has throttled the production of oil. So you can't produce oil in California, even though it's there. So what happens is we have to import the oil from places like in South America, whether it's Ecuador or other places, where the environmental record is much worse. So the politicians don't have to see that. They don't have to live it. And they can live blissfully ignorant to it. But it doesn't change, you know, everything in regards to climate, it is a global issue. And if you want to, you know, put blinders on and say, well, I'm only going to be concerned about my little corner of the earth, and then I can pretend that nothing else matters, is folly. It's just folly. But the, uh, the record we have in terms of cleaning up uh, our, our pollutants, uh, you know, it's a fraction, it's a minuscule fraction uh, it, of what it was just 40 years ago, what's coming out of the refineries. So we create the cleanest products in the world and we do it in the most uh, responsible uh, and cleanest way possible. Dave, let's talk about uh, community impact. Um, the impact that, that um, your businesses uh, have on the surrounding communities um, in, 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 in regards to jobs, uh, obviously livelihoods, tax revenues, and like Joe Krause mentioned, uh, businesses that, that surround your businesses. Talk about that. Yeah, well, the typical multiplier of our business in, in communities that we operate in is, is between 10 and 12. So every dollar we spend, there's 12, 10 to $12 that are created in the local community. And that, that's a well-known factor um, across the place. Now, we operate mainly in rural areas, so the impact is even higher. Uh, we are probably the largest employer in, in the counties we operate in, and definitely the highest paying jobs. Um, we're a represented workforce in most of our cases, and, uh, and we, uh, we are very proud of our employees and what they do and how safe they do work. Uh, one of our core values is safety and environmental performance. And uh, that, that is uh, one and two on the list, and there's only five of them. So um, it tells you the importance of it. And it, uh, you know, all of our compensations are determined by how safe and reliable we are and environmentally responsible we are to the, to the communities we operate in. It is a privilege to be able to operate in the United States. And if we abuse it, we won't get, keep that privilege. And we know it very well. Um, just to say, you know, a, a few other things, uh, you know, I think, uh, um, you know, the, 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 the impact of uh, refiners in, into small communities is really under, un, not well understood by anyone, except those communities that have them. Um, and you know, I know most of the, you guys are on the East Coast and there's you know, large, large uh, cities and, uh, and you're in the middle of them in a lot of cases. Um, we operate out in the country and, uh, and we, you know, we do a lot of donations. We give back a lot of money to the community. Um, we support, um, you know, the uh, science programs, schools. 
we dedicate, we, 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 we contribute our employees hours uh, to, to help um, uh, educate on what the impact of our business is on the community. And uh, most of the communities want us to be there. Um, so, um, you know, it's about, you know, there's nothing here that isn't uh, is rocket scientists. This is just good tax base, a high va- value tax base uh, that creates value to the community and employs the people that live in the community um, with high paying, skilled jobs. And you only have to have uh, the, the bulk of the worker in a, in a refinery um, has, just has to have a high school degree. It doesn't require an advanced degree to be a good operator, good maintenance guy. It takes skills. Uh, hand skills and uh, knowledge skills. And those are the things we look for in you know, people. All right. So, uh, and, and those are, uh, you know, we've, you know, we, the things that Joe Krause talked about, obviously the impact uh, on our communities um, with, with our refineries and the fact that we care about safety uh, and the environment, you would think that um, the narrative would be that, uh, I mean, the narrative is from the, from the left and the extreme left, um, that, you know, we don't, I, we haven't met one person in the industry that doesn't prioritize the environment and the fact that, that our standards are so much greater, like someone said on the broadcast, than they are, they are overseas. Wouldn't we want to control them ourselves? Let me, uh, we're, we're finishing up here. Let me go to uh, Regan Howell real quick. And Regan, um, the PR battle, okay? It's the reason, you know, we're doing this show today. Uh, our traditional energy Industries um, seem to be, they are losing the PR battle uh, with the public and the left. Why is that number one? And how do we get better communications between our our, our traditional energy industry and the public? I wanna say something before you answer me. One of of the individuals who produces this show uh, had a relationship with former uh, Speaker of the House of Representatives, John Boehner, who said the left and Nancy Pelosi brings in uh, you know, her, 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 her uh, you know, environmentalists that say save the whales and everybody jumps on board. But the energy sector, you need a master's degree to understand the message. Talk about the gap uh, and, 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 and closing that gap on the complicated issues um, and, and, and being able to speak the language of the people. How do we do this to get our message across? Yeah, that is that is a really tricky one, J-Doc, um, because. It, it really does require a certain level of um, scientific understanding, right? To say, hey, wait a minute, you know, oil, oil and gasoline and diesel are not bad. They're responsible ways. There are safe ways. There are environmentally friendly ways to produce those products and for us to use them in all of the great things, whether it's advances in medical technology, all the rest, there's all of this good stuff. And yet we are kind of losing the PR battle. And uh, my, my personal opinion, there are a number of reasons. One reason is that, you know, with um, everybody who's got a Twitter account now as a journalist, right. And, and, they can say whatever crazy thing they want to say. They don't have to back it up with facts. They tweet something out. It gets a lot of um, attention. It gets a lot of retweets. And, and suddenly that's where, the, that's where the narrative is set. And then we're busy arguing back from that and saying, you know, this is, this is complete nonsense. And we're just trying to justify it. We're trying to get back to zero, you know, from absolute crazy town. So that's part of it. 
the things that we want to do is we want to continue to, uh, as, as Dave mentioned, you know, science, technology, engineering, and math, STEM skills in the area. Um, we want to talk about the opportunities that come from skilled labor, you know, the, the value of a great fitter or welder or machinist or electrician. Um, we need people like that to move our country forward. And so how do we get this coalition of people who say, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, I'm worried about my family. I'm worried about my country. I'm worried about my, uh, you know, our economic performance. I got to be able to put food on the table. Um, those are the things that we've got to, that we've got to get to. And we've got to um, find a way to argue, not just back to zero, but we've got to advocate for our position. The energy industry makes our lives better. It makes everybody's lives better. Joe and Sally Sixpack, you know, that are, are just down the street from us, they need energy to get to their, to their jobs. They need energy to power the computers to educate their children. They need, uh, you know, petrochemicals to create drugs and to create, um, you know, medical devices. They need petrochemicals to create the iPhone that they communicate off, right? So, so we need to be able to concisely advocate for our position and negate some of this crazy talk that's out there. And, and you know, and, and Jay, I'll say we got to wrap it up two minutes, brother. Yeah, I just, I, I, I'd like to just point out that um, our thought process in this, and we really appreciate everybody's time on the broadcast is um, to build a trust and, uh, you know, uh, to, to, to fill the trust gap, to be a familiar voice, um, to, in a sense, kind of take this message back to our people, back to our families. We are the listeners, okay? And you're providing the opportunity um, uh, for us to be able to, you know, hear it from the horse's mouth, in a sense. Uh, provide people who are only hearing one side of it. Like I said, here we are, uh, labor guys, and at the end of the day, um, you know, we're trying to bring common sense to the message, and we appreciate what you guys are doing, giving us the opportunity to do it. And um, that's the mission of what we're doing, and that's why we're here. So Matt, I want to thank everybody. Matt Lucy, uh, president of PBF Energy, 60 seconds. I'm going to give you last word, and then I'll wrap everything up. Uh, I go back to uh, something that George W. Bush said. I don't know that he was ever invited to the Mensa Society, but he once said the American lifestyle is non-negotiable. Um, my fear is with the energy transition, people are going to try to put the American lifestyle in the crosshairs of what's negotiable. And I just don't think that's right. I don't think that's how our society was, uh, was conceived. And so I'm very willing to participate any chance I can and get the word out the importance of energy and, and uh, our place uh, in, in you know, the globe and our ability to manufacture uh, really sets us apart. And so I hope we can get policies and, and, and government mandates out of the way and we can go on and compete as we should and thrive. 
Great stuff. Great way to wrap up this edition of the Labor and Energy Show. Our Refinery Summit, Matt Lucy, president of PBF Energy, Regan Howe, the COO of Monroe Energy, and Dave Lamb, the CEO of CBR Energy. That's going to do it for this edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause. On behalf of our participants today on the Refinery Sub Summit, on behalf of my partner, J-Doc, I'm Joe Krause. See you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. You can help. Call your congressperson before the upcoming midterm elections and join the movement to push back on RINs. This program is paid for by Jacob Media Partners. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Jacob Media or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded.